0: All right. Well, let me uh, let me open this in prayer, and then we'll uh, go. Father, thank you so much for this day. Uh, thank you for each one of these guys uh, that are in this room. We are, uh, God, in some ways heartbroken uh, about where we are in the state of our country, and the state of our nation. And as we uh, think about tonight, uh, God, we, uh, we pray for peace, which I think right now would be the only thing you could... You'd be the only one that could bring it to us, God, uh, in our fractured... Um, uh, state as, uh, as a country and as a nation. Uh, Father, we do pray that we as uh, men of God would be emboldened uh, more and more uh, to demonstrate our faith both in word and in deed. And God, as we journey forward, let us uh, glean your insights uh, from Acts uh, and Peter and John. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You know, we've been in a series over the last couple of weeks entitled "Felling Forward, looking at Peter's life really from beginning to end. And uh, as we go back to Acts chapter 4, as we go back to Acts chapter 4, uh, we're going to notice a couple of things. Let me remind you if uh, you have forgotten that Peter and John, after Jesus uh, had placed them back into ministry in John chapter 21, uh, Peter and John have assumed leadership again uh, for the sharing of the gospel. We have been through uh, basically Pentecost And now they are beginning to preach and teach. And in Acts chapter 3, uh, Peter and John are journeying along the road. And a man basically looks up and says, Hey, uh, can you give me some alms? Can you give me some gold? And they say, Silver and gold, have we none? But what we do have, we give to you. And they heal him and give him the Word of God. And all of a sudden, uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Sanhedrin, the same people that had nailed Jesus to a cross, uh, are not liking the fact that uh the gospel uh the followers of jesus christ this one they nailed to the cross but couldn't keep in the tomb uh is beginning to spread and so they grab peter and john they put them basically into the sanhedrin prison uh and they ch- are trying to figure out what they are going to do with them and so if you remember last time we were talking it says they uh they gathered together the sanhedrin did uh they begin to ask them questions gathered them asked them questions And basically, we're about to tell them not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. Now, let's go back to verse 18 and notice what it says. In Acts chapter 4, verse 18, it says, Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or not to teach in the name of Jesus Christ. And then notice what it says in verse 19. It says, But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or listen to him, you be the judges as it goes for you. But then he, then he says, as for us, we cannot speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now, the question becomes, what is they, what are they talking about? That they cannot stop speaking about what they have seen and what they have heard. Well, go back to Acts chapter 4, verse 10. And notice what it says. It says, then know this. This is what they've seen and heard. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before us healed. You say, what were they saying they would not stop preaching? They would not stop preaching the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We would do good as men to remember that. Uh, We sometimes, if we aren't careful uh, We can spend a lot of times Preaching politics And there are a lot of things To talk about politics these days We can talk a lot of times And we can spend a lot of times Preaching about our favorite coach Or our favorite football team in the NFL We can spend a lot of time Pontificating on uh, our favorite basketball team Or our favorite baseball team But as men of God We can never stop Speaking about this central element of the Christian faith is that this Jesus who they had nailed to the cross and buried in the tomb rose again the third day. And for you and I, if we're going to journey forward, we have to settle that in our mind. That cannot just be uh, a passing thought as it relates to our faith from time to time. We have to, men, nail this down you have to be considered and you have to have considered in your heart and in your mind why you believe that Jesus died, was buried and rose again the 3rd day. Ultimately, that is the only thing that brings salvation. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 verse 17, we'll put it on the screen for you. Notice what Paul says. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. What, what, is, what is Paul saying? If you somehow fancy in your mind that this whole Christian thing is a feel-good story that you prefer over other religious stories, but you truly don't believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead, you and I are wasting our time. Let me say that again. We are wasting our time. What we talk about, as good as it feels on Sunday, when we talk about the amazing grace of God, when we sing about grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all of our sins, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, that's a bunch of hooey, guys. It means absolutely nothing. And Paul says it right here. He says, what it means is that you and I are still dead in our sins. You want to know what else it means? That when you and I die in our sins, we are dead, dead, and more dead. That there is no resurrection. There is no heavenly body. There is no, and some of us, how many of you know, we need that heavenly body, and we need it fast, right? Uh, This fixer-upper needs some work, but I want you to know, guys, this central element of our faith, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you don't settle this, you're wasting your time with the rest of Christianity, because if this didn't happen, we're all wasting our time. But these guys, Peter and John, looked at them and said, you be the judge as to whether we stop preaching or not stop preaching. You be the judge as to whether we should obey man or God. But for us, they say we are going to obey God and we are going to preach. And what are they going to preach? Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So let me ask you a question, guys. How certain are you personally that Jesus died and rose again? Are there reasons to believe is the question. And hopefully you'll all take notes whether you're on Zoom today or or whether you're in here. I'm going to give you some reasons today. And and we every year have uh, a number of apologists come in. And and they will give us some reasons uh, to believe and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they are good reasons. And guys, you and I, we would all benefit from knowing if someone looks at us and says, I just can't believe it. I just struggle to believe that Jesus rose from the grave. I wish I had some evidence. And, and let me tell you this, if you are going to share your faith in this day, let me even put it a little more starkly. If you tell me no one questions the resurrection, I'll tell you it's because you're not sharing your faith. Ron, have you found that to be the case? Absolutely. Every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, this is what we do. That's right. If you, guys, if you are sharing your faith at all, you better be ready for someone to ask you, why should I believe? That Jesus rose from the grave. So, so while we're not going to get into everything today, I want to give you a few reasons that I believe that everyone should begin to embed in their hearts and embed in their minds as responses to this. Now we can go. I would encourage you go go pick up Jay Warner Wallace's book, Cold Case Christianity. Go read uh, Frank Turek's book. Uh, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Great title for a book. Uh, as he examines the fact and looks at the reality you've got to have more faith to be an atheist than you do have to be a Christian and, and someone that believes there is a God that created a, there are a lot of incredible books that you need to avail yourself of but let me give you a couple of reasons uh, that we should all carry uh, from the resurrection but these guys became eyewitnesses let me give you a thought number one and and, and some of these uh will will resonate with. Some of these may feel a little out there, but uh, thought number one, if you think back to the resurrection story, um, one of the reasons I truly believe uh, that you can believe that the resurrection story is true is because if you go back and look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, question were they written by men or women? I know it's early, guys, but go ahead and, go ahead and toss in your vote there. Men. All right? So here's the deal. If you and I are getting together to fabricate and make up a story, are we going to have the women go into the tomb first? No while we shrink back in fear, if we're going to make up a story, let's go ahead and not make us look like the sissies in the deal, right? It says the disciples were fearful and ran away, but the women went to the tomb. That is a big deal. It may not seem like a big deal, but that is a big deal. Because remember, if you're saying that the resurrection didn't happen you are also saying that the gospel writers fabricated the story. So guys, think with me for a minute. If we're going to make something up, let's don't make us look bad. Isn't that the way you, hey, I don't know about you, I I know this may shock you, but there have been times that I've, I've blown a story up a time or two. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Someone says, hey, pastor, did that really happen? I go, I wasn't lying. I was just blowing it up where you could see it, right? You know, there are times we blow things up where we could see it. And let me tell you what, what you're saying, if the resurrection isn't true, you're saying these guys made this story up. Who makes a story up to make themselves look bad? I don't know about you, well, I know y'all weren't, but when I was in high school, I was basically the Heisman Trophy winner in my high school. I was an MVP. I have walked into, I've met more men in this church that were the captain of their high school football team and the quarterback. I'm like, we don't have that many teams in Texas. Why? Because we're prone what? You understand what I'm saying? We are prone to exaggerate when we exaggerate I don't know about you, but if I'm going to go ahead and lie, I might as well look good in the story. Do you understand what I'm talking about? So you're telling me these guys lied, made a story up, that made them look like weak, the weak, and the women look courageous. Let me show it to you. Matthew 28, put the note here. It says, The first I witnesses that went to the tomb of the resurrection were women, all the Gospels, note this. All four of them, note this. Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse 1 and then 5 and 6. Justin put it on the screen. It says, After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Now jump down to verse 5. And the angel said to the women, There it is. Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here he is risen just as he said he would come and see the place that he was he laid now if you don't know anything about women in that society and this i'm not making this up uh the disciples they were the men uh they were fearful and fled in that day in in that day that roman society women not were not held in high esteem it's not like it is today women were not held in high esteem um In the Greco-Roman culture, uh, a woman's testimony, all right, the Greco-Roman culture, a woman's testimony was not even admissible in court. That's how they saw her as an individual, is that a woman's testimony was not even admissible in court. That's the Greco-Roman society. Now you bring it down to the Sanhedrin and and the Jewish circles. Um, It took the testimony of two women, to equate to the testimony of one man they were considered a half a person in the court of law so if you and i are going to fabricate a story we're not sending the women first right we might look around and select hey uh uh as we look at the disciples we're going to say all right peter how about this you go to the tomb first but you, you actually beat us because we stopped by to pick up clubs to beat back the Roman soldiers, and uh, so-and-so had to go get some, blo- uh, some gloves because we're going to roll away the stone. That's the kind of story we're going to make up. We're not going to say the women were there because in that society, the women were not viewed highly. So here's my thought, and here's the conclusion about the women being first. It says... If one were to invent a story, if we were to invent a story, the last people who were to be the, who would have been the first eyewitnesses, I'm going to say that again, the last people who would have been the first eyewitnesses on this story that we fabricated would be women. We might have even made up some phantom men, but I will promise you they would have been men. So that's the first reason you and I can believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me give you a second one. There was some accompanying transformation of some unbelieving folks and some doubters. Namely, remember Thomas? Thomas, I will not believe until I see. I will not believe at all until I know. Thomas, John chapter 20, verse 24. This is the one we refer to as... Thomas, who is the doubter, or doubting Thomas. Here's what it says in John chapter 20, verse 24. It says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came to them. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger uh, where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe for myself. Verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then Jesus looked at Thomas and said, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and start believing. I love those words. Stop doubting and start believing. As a pastor, there have been times that I've used those exact words on somebody when they just constantly want to say, well, I still struggle with doubt, I still struggle with doubt. You know what? We all struggle with doubt on some level. But there comes a point that you have to stop doubting and start believing. You have to sit here and say, there is a ton of evidence to believe in the actual physical resurrection of Jesus Christ if you're willing to search for it. And at a certain point, you either choose to accept it or reject it but don't sit here in this spiritual limbo. And notice what else Thomas's response. He did just that. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. He says, blessed are those who have not seen me yet have believed. You know, Jesus is talking about you and me. Those of you on the Zoom call and listen to this podcast later, Jesus is talking right there in his conversation with Downey Thomas. He's talking about you and me, right? Jesus looks at Thomas and he says, Blessed are you, Thomas, because you get to see for yourself. But listen to those words. He says, because you've seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He says, we're actually more blessed than Thomas. Why? Because we honestly look back on the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we choose to believe that you and I are blessed for it as we think about other doubters. Uh, Here's another skeptic, James, the brother of Jesus. How many of you know James, the brother of Jesus, was a doubter? Man, he absolutely doubted. As a matter of fact, if you go look in John chapter 7, verse 5, we'll put it up on the screen. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, was an absolute skeptic early in Jesus' ministry. In John chapter 7, verse uh, 5, it says, For even his own brothers did not believe him. Therefore, Jesus just told them, My time is not yet here. In other words, they didn't believe him, and they, they were wanting him to do all these miracles and prove himself. And he goes, You know, it's not my time yet. But now if you jump forward to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 7, it says then he appeared also to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all Paul says he appeared to me also, one who is abnormally born. So you take James the brother of Jesus who went from being a skeptic to a follower of his brother. Why does that happen? Think about it, and let me just put it in some crass terms, guys. How many of you have a brother how many of you have a brother that you've thought from time to time, he's a nut job? All right. What, what if your brother came into you and said, hey, by the way, I'm the Messiah. I am the Son of God? You're smiling, right? You would look at your brother and go, yeah, that's funny. And then you would probably encourage them, they have medication for this, right? right and you let's say that your brother ran with that theme not as a joke but as that was his lifestyle that he goes no no gene you don't get it i am the son of god i am the messiah And you're sitting there reading the Bible and and you're reading Isaiah chapter 53 and we're reading the Old Testament scripture and scroll together and it says, man, he was pierced for our transgressions. And I look at you and I go, you know that's talking about me. And you're going, no way. And you're looking at Frazier and going, don't put me in a small group with my brother, right? What changes your mind? When you see your brother get nailed to a cross and placed in a tomb and see him walk out three days later, all of a sudden, James, a brother of Jesus, who thought he was a nut job, becomes a follower and ultimately a leader in the church in Jerusalem. So much so that he is willing to be martyred for his faith in the brother that he thought was crazy prior to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what, the testimony of a brother who said he's a nut job and then he says he's a savior, that's a testimony you can count on. And by the way, As James being the leader in the church in Jerusalem, that is not just found in the Bible. You can find that in extra biblical material where they talk about the leaders of the early church and they will talk about one of those being James, the brother of Jesus, who did not follow Jesus until after his death, burial, and resurrection. So first reason you and I can believe is if we were going to make up a story, guys we would make up a story that would make us look better, not worse. If we're going to make up a story, you wouldn't have doubters like Thomas and and uh, Jesus' brother James coming from being doubting, moving from being doubting to believing until after an actual resurrection took place. I won't even go into Paul because we talk about Paul. Paul was a persecutor of the church. We'll talk about him here in a second. But Paul is a persecutor of the church, encountered a real risen Jesus. Guys, if we are going to move forward and fail forward in our faith, we have to be like Peter and John. We have to settle the reality and the idea that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus actually did happen. Let me give you a third reason you can believe it. What about some martyrdom of some early disciples? How many of you remember Stephen? Remember Stephen? Acts chapter six, he's elected for one of the first deacons. By Acts chapter seven, they're wanting to stone him. I mean, every pastor in the world's had deacons like that, right? Stephen, Man who was, who was transformed by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, a personal witness with Jesus Christ, becomes a deacon who not only is just a deacon who opens the doors, he's a deacon that preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is being called upon to recant. Go to, go to Acts chapter 7, verse 54. It says, when the members of the Sanhedrin, same dudes, right? The Sanhedrin, the same folks that nailed Jesus to a cross but couldn't keep him in the tomb are now calling uh, the ones we're talking about. They're holding Peter and John. They say, don't preach in the name of Jesus Christ again. They go, you be the judge whether we got obey God or man. And now notice, this is Stephen. He's back in front of the Sanhedrin. And I want you to know The power of the Sanhedrin because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is slipping through their fingertips and they know it. It's slipping through their fingertips, and they know it. So look at what it says in Acts chapter 7, verse 54. It says, When members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth. Uh, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and began yelling at the top of their voices, and they rushed him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who would later become Paul in two chapters. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, and he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. Now notice what he, rose, what he focused on. What carried him through, what he was about to endure, was that he saw a risen Jesus. Let me tell you what. That matters. Not only did you see doubters like Thomas and uh, doubters uh, like, uh, uh, like, like James, the brother of Jesus, become believers. You see men that are willing to die Men are willing to die for a lot of things, but typically not a fabricated story. I'm going to say that again. Men are willing to die, even for a lot of stupid things, but usually not for a made-up story. Let me give you another one. What about James, the son of Zebedee? Uh, As you look in the New Testament, there are really uh, three Jameses that are talking about James, the son of Zebedee, uh, is the one mentioned most in the New Testament, by the way. This is not James, the brother of Jesus. This is James, the son of Zebedee. Uh, He is John's brother. Remember James and John? You would always see James and John. Remember, if you go, I won't make us read it there, uh, Justin, but in Matthew 17, they go on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember Peter, James, and John are there? That's this James. Uh, Remember James and John called Sons of Thunder? That's James, the son of Zebedee. Uh, If you go and look and you find out more about James, if you go to Acts chapter 12, uh, here he's executed in verse 1 and 2. It says it was about the time that King Herod arrested Acts chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says it was about the time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, or James, uh, the son of Zebedee, put to death by the sword. So there were men who were martyred for their, by their faith. And we need to understand that you had the women who would not have been first, a fabricated story. You would not have had these doubters, including the brother of Jesus, who believed him after he was resurrected. You have many martyrs who were willing to go to their death. Why? Because they had encountered a real and risen Jesus Christ. Let me give you another reason. I love what uh, one person put it, and, and, and here's how one person puts it. Uh, They call it just general circumstantial evidence. Think about the New Testament. We have two ordinances in our church, right? What's the first ordinance after you follow Christ as Savior and Lord? What's the first ordinance? Baptism. What does baptism represent? The death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, that's not something you just go make up, right? Let's let's figure out a symbol for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and someone says, oh, let's choose baptism. That's, That's actually not a bad reminder of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, that's an implicit evidence But it's one that speaks to us. What what about the other ordinance of the church? What's it, baptism? What's the other one? Y'all need to know this. Lord's Supper. Supper. What does the Lord's Supper represent? The bread represents the body of Christ that was given for us and nailed to the cross. The blood represents, uh, the juice represents His blood that was shed for us. Well, As you think about that, those are pretty powerful depictions of the sacrifice of Jesus that we carry for. Why would they choose those? Let me give you a third one. Why do we worship on Sunday? The day of the resurrection. Who were the first followers of Christ? They were all Jewish. Jewish. So why would you change as a Jew your time of worship from sundown basically Friday night into Saturday? Instead, you start changing your worship to Sunday morning unless something significant didn't happen on Sunday morning. Now, now those are just implicit evidences that you're sitting there going... There was something that caused them to make that change. And guys, we need to come to that same idea that Peter and John had. I don't care what you say. But I will not stop preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because without it, our faith and our futures are futile. And let me tell you what, without the death, burial, and resurrection, even some of these liberals who still want to pretend to be people of faith, and they want to talk about the love of God, God loves everybody, God loves everybody, God loves everybody. The only reason a liberal can say even that is if there actually was a death burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ so God can overlook your sin and my sin to demonstrate His grace and love. So if someone doubts the resurrection, but they talk about the love of God, you're like, can I just tell you something? That makes absolutely zero sense. Because the only way we can really talk about the love of God is if there was a sacrifice of His Son on the cross. Now, I will tell you, if you want to have a legitimate debate after you've come to the point where you believe that Jesus actually physically was nailed to a cross, buried in a tomb, rose again the third day, if you want to have a a real debate with them about the extent of the grace of God, and they want to say, well, what about those who've never believed? Did Jesus die on the cross? Did He rise again the third day? Then, if you want to apply it to those who have never believed, you apply it to those who never believed. I'm not going to do that because the Bible says we're all tainted with original sin. But if you want to do that, you can only do that after the resurrection. Are you with me, guys? Do you understand? The only way you can even adopt a universal salvation is if you accept the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? somebody, somehow, way has to pay for the sins of the world. So to me, even the person who, who wants to be the God loves everyone and gives everyone grace, they can't do that unless they go through an empty tomb. Let me give you another reason, not just those circumstantial evidence. Um, I love what Jay Warner Wallace says in his book, Cold Case Christianity. Uh, he says there are missing motives. There are missing motives for the resurrection story not to be true. Uh, you know, If you know J. Warner Wallace, uh, uh, cold case homicide detective, he, he says in all murders or in all crimes, it, it happens because of one of three things. Uh, power, someone wants power. Uh, two business partners, Mike and I are in business together and, and, and I want all the power in the company so I knock him off or he knocks me off. Uh, he's got more money. He'd probably knock me off. Uh, but, you know, that's typically one of, the, one of the reasons crimes take place is because of power. How many of you understand that, right? The second reason, Jay Warner Wallace says, is greed. Someone just wants the money. Why does someone knock off mom and dad? Because they want the inheritance. Am I the only one that watches Forensic Files? Come on, guys. Y'all need to get out more, right? It's either power, it's greed, or the third one he says, lust. Don't don't you hear about this? I am not encouraging this. Don't you hear about this from time to time? Somebody will knock off a spouse or a girlfriend, and then only to find out later they had someone else on the side. What does that mean? Lust, right? He says, basically, as a cold case, homicide detectives they walked into everything understanding that the crime was going to fall under one of those three headings. It's either going to be a crime of power, a crime of greed, or a crime of lust. It's going to be one of those three things. And he says that a lot of times, you can tell at the crime scene which one it is. If it's lust, there are marks of it. If it's power, there are marks of it. If there's greed, there's marks of it. And you find them all. He says when you go to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see none of the three. How much power did the disciples get out of fabricating a story about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Exactly zero. As a matter of fact, they tell you that they did not have any desire at all to overthrow the government how many understand that paul in romans chapter 13 says we submit to our government wait if if this crime was about the the lie of jesus death burial and resurrection was about power paul gives up that idea at no point do peter and john say you know what i really want out of this gig when when they become uh, popular do you see anywhere in the New Testament where Peter or John or the other disciples say, all right, now here's really what we want. We just want six seats on the Sanhedrin. Do you see that at all? No. So they're making up this story in about power. What about Peter? I've told you about Paul, go over to 1 Peter chapter 2, the, the, the book that we're teaching out of right now, the chapter we're teaching out, what does Peter tell us? That we ought to submit to our earthly authorities. There is no power grab here. The second reason, he says greed. <laughs> Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. Now listen, there are some charlatans of the faith this day. How many of you know that? And there were some charlatans in the faith that day. As a matter of fact, Philippians uh, chapter 1, Paul addresses them. He says some people preach the gospel out of pure and good motives. Some people preach the gospel because they are greedy for gain. There are people. There were people in those days that preached the gospel because it put some money in their pocket. There are people today that preach the gospel because it puts some money in their pocket. But I want you to know, Look at the disciples. Did any of them get rich for fabricating the story about Jesus? Seems like they would have done better with it if it was fabricated. What about lust? Okay, so maybe it's lust. Well, well, if lust was part of the reason they fabricated the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they sure did a horrible job. Because what do they teach from beginning to the end in the New Testament? Before you're married, stay celibate. After you get married, live with the one woman the rest of your life. Let me tell you what. If they fabricated the lie of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for lust, they did a horrible job of it. If you and I, now, now this is where you got to follow me in a little humor or you're going to get me fired, guys. Uh, you, do you understand what I'm saying? If, if we're going to make a story up, So that we can fulfill... Somebody's looking at their watch saying, don't get the pastor fired. What's that? Oh, it's after 7, so everybody can mention what I say. But how many of you understand... Do you understand this idea? Any crime scene, it's about power. They said they didn't want power on earth. It's about greed. They said they didn't want money. It's about lust. Scripture is very clear. That any intimate relations outside the bonds of one man, one woman is wrong. And guys, we have been judged by that standard since New Testament was written. And let me tell you what, if those early dudes fabricated this story and they told us to live that way, they did a horrible job. So it's after seven. Huh? Just so, you don't say anything incriminating. Just so I don't say anything incriminating. Do you want me to go on or you want me to save the rest of these for next week? All right. The number six. Ready? Y'all going to have to listen faster. Uh, what's that? Uh, enemy confirmation. Enemy confirmation. And, and some of these now are not, not even my words. These are, these are Historically speaking, if the enemies, all they had to do, all they had to do was to produce the body, right? Go to the tomb. Enemy confirmation. If you go look in Matthew chapter 28, verse 11 to 15, uh, put it up there, Justin. Notice what it says. and did as they were instructed, and the story has been widely circulated around the Jews to this day. Now, that that's the enemy confirmation that the, the tomb was, in fact, empty. Now, let me just go back to the present story we're talking about. Peter and John are told by the Sanhedrin, the political elite, the political or religious elite of that day, stop preaching the gospel. And Peter and John say... Whether we stop or not, that's for you to be the judge, but we're going to obey God rather than man. Then they begin to preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It would have been real easy for the Sanhedrin, right, to say, someone bring in the body and shut these idiots up. Right? Wouldn't it have been easy to say that? Just bring the body in. It would have been real easy for them to go, So you're going back to the resurrection. How many times do we have to dig the body up? How many times do we have to go roll away the tomb? Even the enemies of faith, the ones, the Sanhedrin, that were most responsible for nailing Him to the cross, had no answer to the empty tomb. Or they would have crushed Christianity in its infancy. Here's another reason. The eyewitnesses. I'll I'll just go through these. Uh, uh, We won't spend a lot of time on these. Mary Magdalene, uh, you find in John chapter 20. The Roman guards, Matthew chapter 28. The 11 disciples, John 21. The two men on the road to Emmaus, Luke chapter 24, an indeterminate number of disciples, we don't even know, Matthew 28, over 500 disciples in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, to James, the brother of Jesus, 1 Corinthians 15, 7, Paul, Acts chapter 9 and 8, and 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. Man, the number of disciples who encountered a risen Christ, eyewitnesses was crazy. Here's the next thought, last thought. Is just nobody has ever been able to just simply eliminate the simple facts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus was, in fact, nailed to the cross. I want you to know, not only do you have biblical literature, you have extra-biblical literature that absolutely affon- that a man named Jesus was nailed to the cross. That he was buried in a tomb. You have both biblical and extra-biblical literature that says he was placed in a tomb. You have biblical literature and extra-biblical literature that says there was an empty tomb. You have biblical literature and extra-biblical literature, non-biblical literature that said the disciples believed they encountered a resurrection Savior. You have all of that. So for you and for me, when you add all of that up, are we willing to To regardless who our next president is, to boldly preach Jesus and him crucified, buried in a tomb, and rising again the third day. Because, boys, if we aren't, our faith is futile. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. God, thank you for an opportunity to get fired up today about the reality that, that, that if this story wasn't true, if this story was fabricated and falsified and made up, that no man in the right mind would have made it up like this. And the only explanation for all the evidence is that Jesus Christ, your son, did die, was buried, and did rise again the third day, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. So God, as men, my first prayer is that every man who's listening to this podcast, or on Zoom, or here today, would come to grips with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then second, regardless of who tries to put them to silence. That they would be willing to look with Peter and John and simply say, you be the judge, but we're going to obey God and not man. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you guys. Y'all have a great day. Walk out of here in the power of the resurrection. Good seeing you guys. Y'all have a great day.